Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. Thank you for being here. It's great to see you. Um, what a beautiful morning just to gather together. Welcome to Crossroads. If you're here, back here, visiting, whatever it may be, we're sure glad that you're with us. And uh, we'd love you to be part of uh, the family here. And so just uh, keep us posted if there's anything we can do for you. There's a card in the seat back in front of you. Um, if you want to be a part of our email, just a lot of information going out. Fill that out. But never hesitate. Our doors are always open. Um, we'd love to uh, connect with you. So please never, ever hesitate. And um, we'd love to connect um, only announcement is um, many of you, I don't, probably everybody here knows Marion Melville, and tomorrow it's just so fitting that we get to celebrate her life, her homecoming, uh, on Easter weekend, right? So tomorrow, right here at 3.33 in the afternoon, we will be having a huge celebration um, as Marion at 93? 93.93, off with the Lord, but what a woman, and uh, look forward to celebrating, so... That's at 3.33 um, tomorrow. Uh, well, let me uh, transition us. We're going to, um, you can bring my slide up if you want. We're going to talk this morning just briefly, folks, about this big question of has it become personal? Uh, Easter, as Derek mentioned earlier in the midst of worship, it's something, right, that uh, any of us have grown up in America, most likely we've come to church on Easter at least once or twice or something. And, um, but the big question, though, ultimately here, I think the ultimate one is, has it become personal for each of us? Um, or is it just eh, kind of ritual? Because uh, bottom line is we know that ritual, if it's just ritual, sooner or later it's just, it'll die out, right? With a generation, it'll be gone. And in our own lives, right, it will uh, disappear, And so I just want us to settle with this question this morning with each of us. Has it become personal? And uh, I'm going to share a little bit about just my journey here as we um, dive in. We're going to be in John chapter 12. If you want to follow along um, with your Bible, there's a Bible underneath the seat in front of you, actually. And we'll be picking up in verse 20 um, in John 12. Let me just pray for us. Father, um, words cannot express our gratitude, Um, you're worthy, you're a loving, merciful, glorious God. And Lord, in the midst of all of our personal struggles, in the midst of a chaotic world, in the midst of of whatever it is, Lord, we can look up and know, Lord, that you're sovereign and that you have a plan, that you are ultimately in control and that you're moving the history of this world Lord, towards your perfect plan of uniting everything here on earth with heaven again. And Jesus, you've come to spark that renewal in the hearts of people. And Lord, we ask you this morning, come Holy Spirit, make this personal to each of our hearts and souls. Give us ears to hear, hearts to receive this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, I've shared my story before, uh, many times actually, but I uh, grew up in a Christian home, at least for a good part of the time we thought we were Christians. We would go to church and do the, all the faithful things, but uh, that's just a whole other story is we realized um, after we had some neighbors who kept inviting us, uh, or my parents, I was young at the time, to uh, a Bible study, home fellowship, and 
just starts sharing the gospel. We realized the church we'd been going to, it was all about ritual, but not about the reality of the gospel and the reality of a real life made alive by Jesus. And it was in that time that God just moved in our house. Our entire family was just hit with the grace of God. And, uh, and it became very personal to us, out of religion, out of just the ritual, into just something that transformed our entire house uh, literally overnight was uh, the story. Again, that's another story. What I want to share about is, is how it became personal soon after that for me um, with God's church. So we always were in church, um, and this is about 1972. It was soon after that time we moved churches, and this is, we were actually living in Tulsa. Any Tulsa folks around here this morning? You never know. We were in T-Town, Oklahoma, and we were attending First Methodist Church downtown. At the time, this is about 1972, and uh, so if you all know, that's kind of the tail end of the Jesus movement and everything, and there was a real revival, kind of a renewal taking place um, in the church. And it was Easter Sunday. And uh, I remember it vividly, and, I, and very rarely do I remember, like, you know, details, but I remember even what I was wearing. It was 19, I think it was 1971 or two, I'm not sure. But it was Easter Sunday, and uh, I remember, because uh, I had a picture, it's long gone, I wish I still had it, otherwise I'd put it up and we'd all get a good laugh. But I was wearing a bright polyester baby blue suit with a white fluffy shirt that had a big collar, I think, that went out to here. My hair was like a, you know, afro. And, uh, and the topper on the whole thing was, I was wearing platform shoes. Remember platform? Yeah, unbelievable. So, and I just remember that that, the clash of that, this church was a classic, still beautiful church, stone outside, white stone, beautiful wood pews, just gorgeous church, huge pipe organ inside. And just there was, I just remember it was just like this interesting clash, right, of, of kind of older people, traditional garb, kind of that 70s polyester thing going on. And, and, uh, and Dr. Thomas, um, amazing preacher, he uh, wore a big robe and, and he preached from a big, in bigger church, they have like a, call it the roost nest, kind of the, you know, uh, overlooking everybody. And, and I just remember one Sunday, <clears throat> it was Easter Sunday, and we were somewhere mid in this, you know, creaky pews. It's a big church. And uh, I was sitting there, and this is soon after, a couple years after um, the story I told you before, where our house, we came to know Jesus personally, um, is in that service is that something happened, and I, I can't even describe it to you, except that, that sitting there that God came to me and made it very personal that this is my house and you belong here. This is my house and you belong here. And um, it wasn't some kind of fearful, like, ooh, you know, type of thing. And, um, and actually that Sunday, and I can't remember um, the facts, but uh, I just remember it's the only memory I have of ever walking forward. Uh, I don't even know if my parents, I'm sure they're with me. And, uh, and meeting and talking to, the, to the, the pastor who, you know, was this big robe and he was kind of removed, right? And uh, there was just multiple things that happened there for me and it changed my context, even at a fairly young age of what church was. Uh, that was the day and age of Sunday school where you went to church and you also went to Sunday school. 
And um, that Sunday, that Easter Sunday, I actually, we had like scripture contests or whatever, and um, everything was competition for me, not real spiritual, but I won that day in Sunday school, and, um, and I was more happy about winning, I think, than, but I won a plaque. And, um, and I hate it because I don't know where it went. I had it for years, all through college, and somehow it disappeared. But it was a little plaque, and it was Isaiah 43.1. I've called you by name. You are mine. And um, it's never been the same. There's been times of wandering. Oh, sure. Times where I felt disconnected from God's people, His church, or from Jesus. But I always, since that time, knew where home was. And from that time on, I always knew who I belonged to and what the Lord had done for me. Even in the midst of my wanderings to and fro, it had become personal and had it changed me. And that was never going to change. Because my Lord had come after me to find me and save me and to draw me in and and after that, I, I, I'll, I'll do a little wandering here and there, but man, once you've tasted home, once you've tasted what being with the Lord and not being lonely in your soul is all about, you don't run far after a while. And folks, I just share that with you. What's your story? Has Jesus, because honestly, I'm just here to say it, it doesn't matter. Going to church, doing all the things, if it's not personal... In the climate we live in right now, you know what? It's not going to last. And it's not for a lot of people. And my prayer this morning is for all of us in a unique, powerful way this morning is that it become personal. For those of you who've made it personal with Jesus, that you have a renewal of what that is. For those of you who it's just, you're struggling in the walk, you're struggling, you know, to, to what it's about, to, to know God and Where is he at? You're feeling lonely in your soul that maybe this morning, maybe it's Easter Sunday that you make it personal with Jesus for the first time. And you cut right through all the religion, all the steps, all the ritual to where your soul is now inhabited by the Holy Spirit and you will never be lonely again. Folks, the source of loneliness goes deep. It's not not having friends. It's not having people around you. Some of the most lonely people are married and have a ton of friends about them. If this place is not inhabited by God, it is a deep loneliness that no matter what you do, there's only one thing that satisfies that heart, that place right within our soul. And so with that said, let me just uh, dive in here and pick up the passion story for us this morning. Um, because, I, boy, I, I wish, like back in the old days, we had till midnight, right? Where Paul would preach till midnight, you know? Some people did fall asleep, we understand, right? Because there's a lot to talk about the eternal gospel, right? But we won't go that long, I promise. Um, but wouldn't it be good if we were that hungry and that God came amongst us and, and did something among us that we're more hungry to hear his word than we are for the pleasures of this world? More hungry for his word than screen time. More hungry for his word than watching the masters. I know that's really tough for a lot of people today. God's word. John uh, chapter 12, starting verse 20. Jesus is now, it's about a week before. It's moving out of Palm Sunday. 
uh, moving towards Passover. And by the way, if you have any Jewish friends, tell them happy Passover. Uh, This year, Passover lines up with Easter. Um, And honestly, what we really are celebrating is Passover, right? When Jesus in Egypt, or when God in Egypt, right, covered the blood of the lamb, right? Giving a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do. Folks, it is staggering how this book fits together if people will just look at it. No other book in all the history of the world, no other academics in all the history of the world have a book like this. It has prophecy and history that is thousands of years old that is completely filled with great details, right, in modern history. There's nothing like it. There's no other historical people talk about the resurrection and without investigating, do you realize there's no other major, there's no more important event in all the world to really understand and make it personal. Either that's true or not. And folks, you know what? Best minds in the world have not been able to prove it wrong. It's the greatest, and I'm going to say it, historical fact in all of the world. If you doubt that, I challenge you with all of me. You go search Oxford. You go search history. You search high and low to try to disprove it. The ones who have, most have come to make Jesus very personal in their life. And so Jesus has um, come into Jerusalem preparing the way on the donkey. And we're going to pick up in verse uh, 20. Now among those, remember the crowds were there, Hosanna, Hosanna, laying down the palm trees, welcoming the king. And it was just a few days later, right, that uh, a crowd broke out again, crucify, crucify, right? Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks, all right? So this Greeks, meaning the broad, they were not Jewish people, right? And so these came to Philip, and remember, there was this dividing wall, this chasm between the Jews, the covenant people, and all the other people, especially the Greeks. And so they came, and they were seeking some company with Jesus. And and remember, for a rabbi to even walk in a house of a Greek or a non, they would be unclean, right? And so these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida and Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus, Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then in a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it. I will glorify it again. And the crowd that stood there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said, no, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. The word of God. 
Now, I want to throw something at you. I'm going to need your full attention and, and uh, intellect here. I want you to think deeply about this question. I want us all to think about this as we get into this. Are we willing to consider that the God of our story and our life is not the God of the Bible, the resurrected Jesus, but a distorted mental image we have created throughout our life to cope with our struggles? Are we willing to consider that? And I say that specifically to those of you who are struggling with God. I say it specifically to those who have an intellectual barrier, to those of you who have emotional barriers, to those of you who have traumatic barriers, to those of you who have religious barriers. I say this specifically to those of you out there who are sitting there and, and really questioning whether Jesus has become personal to you. And that Easter, the idea of the resurrection, has become a very personal thing to you. I just throw this up. Would you be willing to consider this big question? Maybe. Maybe the struggle, maybe the lack of zeal, maybe the lack of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, maybe, right, the struggles are because somehow, right, I have constructed this wrong idea of God. Not the God of the Bible but one of my own making, and one that culture has determined more than the Word of God. And folks, when we do that, it keeps us, puts a barrier, hardens our heart, it keeps us from seeing clearly the glory of who Jesus is and the profound nature of His Word. And it keeps us from making it personal. And so I just throw this out to us to think about this morning um, where are we at? Where's our heart at with this, this story? Now, I'm just going to walk through this and make a couple comments um, this morning for us. These Greeks, they come. They want a showing. They want to see Jesus. And I ask you this morning the same question. Do you want to see Jesus? Uh, and, and I think we all have to ask, why, why, what am, why am I doing what I'm doing on Easter? Do I really want to see Jesus? Now what's funny is, Jesus did not answer their question, did he? Or did he? We'll come to see how he actually answered these Greeks' question. Because remember, as I said before, they were removed from the temple. They had to stand the outside. And this is leading to the massive nature of what Jesus did with the temple, tearing the veil Right? And the prophecy that came fulfilled in 70 AD, again, history that Jesus clearly prophesied that, right, there won't be a stone left in this place standing. And so the question, same for us, do we desire to see Jesus? And what are we doing about that? What are we doing about our, our heart? Do, am I in touch with what I really desire? Or am I just kind of living life with some distorted, just kind of putting it in a box over here and not really letting my entire soul be involved, right? And so Jesus answers. And remember, Philip and, and Andrew, they represent the Greeks. They go to Jesus, and Jesus answers to the disciples, right? And who knows how much of the crowd heard his response, but obviously we know that many. And he answered, which is an interesting answer, it says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. It's time for him to accomplish the reason. And Jesus from the beginning was clear in his purpose. Sent by the Father to come redeem the world. Um, and to do what no just man could ever accomplish right for us. 
And he says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. Now again, he's living in an agricultural society, right? And we're kind of removed from that. Many of you have grown up on a farm. But what's he saying? Unless a grain of wheat, unless it falls into the ground, unless it dies, unless there's some kind of death, there is no fruit. There is no real life. And then he goes on to explain and just goes a little deeper, but he ends that by saying, if it doesn't, it remains alone. It remains, in our language, it comes to religion, personal. If I've constructed some idea of God that I can have some kind of arrangement, my agenda and God's agenda, there is no dying to self. As I remain alone, right? There isn't this aspect of God and me, right? Being personal. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Um, this idea of being alone, um, there's three things I just want to tag on quickly here. Uh, is Jesus, it, I think what, what blows me away by this message of Jesus, just in the Passion Week, is just how countercultural it is to everything, folks, that you hear about on the screen and out in our world today. And I'm just going to pick on three that he deals with. One is self-love. The other one is self-confidence. The other one is self-righteousness. If those don't die in you or me, there is no life. And if I continue to buy the lie that culture is just screaming with anger and vehemence, more self-love. Um, we were at a, I was doing a wedding for our cousin this last weekend. And uh, in the airport was this gal. And she had a big oversized pink sweatshirt on and it just said it just struck me more self-love more self-love more self-love and I wish I had time to sit down with her and talk to her how's that going to work how does anybody really understand what love really is because as this says and as we know you know what Lonely, I mean, anybody know anybody that's lonely? In this group, all of us have experienced loneliness, haven't we? Does anybody know right now, coming into off-season, anybody know anybody struggling with being alone? They might have people all around them. But there's a deep-set sense of loneliness. And folks, the source of loneliness is a lonely soul. It means that all I have in here is a spirit that is dead to God, no personal relationship with God, no confidence there. And so my mind, a soul, is, is not just, uh, we talk about mental health today, we need to expand that, folks. We can talk about uh, how is my soul health. It's not just my mind, it's my mind, my emotion, right, and my will. That's my soul, in the midst of my heart. And, 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 and if, if I just have me, all that's left in this life, loneliness is me, myself, and I. It's just me. And if I try to make sense, if I think I can go through this life, me, myself, and I, and that the lie of, man, we just need more self-love. We need more self-confidence, right? More self-help, more self-righteousness. You know where it's going to go? We're going to get, I'm going to just say this as clear as I can, we're going to get what we're getting as a culture. And it's going to get worse. Because self has no ability, right, to bring life. I'm left 
as the seed. I'm left lonely. And the, the glory of the gospel, folks, is that God's come after us. The whole history of the world is again to unite, again, bring Eden, bring the garden, bring heaven and earth, God's presence back to us. God in his very nature is a social, loving Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Loving God. He is love. Love is not God. God is love. Love is not something I can determine, right? It's something that transcends. And if we think we just more self-love, we just need to love each other. How is that going in? How is it gone in the history of the world? Good luck with that. It's not going to happen. We need something bigger than us. We need to know first, right, that I'm loved. How can you love yourself if you don't have a context for being loved? I mean, we could go down that line you know, deeper and deeper. And, and folks, let me just hear my heart on this. All this stuff that's being pumped in our culture today, I just ask you, has anybody communicated the vision forward? Where is our nation going with all this? What do we hope to attain? Is this everything that we're entertaining out there as a culture, does it have any promise for the future? Do we have any, any culture in the past history? Do we have any context? Is anybody talking about it? They're not talking about it, folks, because let me tell you why. They have no clue where it's going. But I can tell you where it's going. Just more loneliness. Right? But the the thing that needs to be shouted out loud, right, is the glory of the gospel and the invitation to come and, yes, die. This is Jesus. Could this be any more counterculture today? There's no self-love in here. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you've got to deny, you've got to kill yourself. Not annihilate it. That's Buddhism. Though we have cheesy Buddhists here. They don't do what they're told. But Nirvana is getting rid of self, right? Who, who wants that? Jesus is not killing self. He's bringing it alive. And to bear fruit and be fully who we are and fully alive, we've got to deny that self. I have to submit myself to his word. I've got to put that seed, my life in the ground, my agenda. I've got to come and it's humility. God, I need you. I can't do this. It's a brokenness. And that's when God, the Spirit, rushes in and brings life and does miraculous, amazing things, right, in our life and brings life. Folks, that's the glory of Easter. That's why we stand here today is God wants to make it personal. He sent Jesus into this world to come after you. He created you. Where do you think the idea of love came from in the first place? Why do we think we can self-love and harness this thing that... Man, again, just ask people today to find love for me. What's your benchmark of love? What's your example of love? How do you love? Folks, there's just something better. There's something so gloriously better out there. And when the Spirit of God comes, man, He brings life. And this is, He goes on, right, to say this. He says, but man, and whoever hates his life in this world, he'll keep it for eternal life. That seems a little harsh. Remember, Jesus was all about hyperbole. I think this is really important to understand is these images, back to this statement right here, many of these sadly have been taught from pulpits in the church. Jesus was not some little coddler. He didn't just walk and coddle people, coddle their emotions and everything like that. He loved them deeply. But what he did was what I just read to you. He laid down truth and he expected people to respond to it. He didn't walk alongside and say, hey, oh man, you're okay. You're okay to stay okay. No, you never see Jesus do that. 
what we have preached is a Jesus that's this kind of wimpy dude, right? That is more of a therapist than a savior and the king of the universe. He preaches truth. And with that truth, I have to make a decision. And I have to bring my entire, this is heavy duty stuff. I've got to deny myself. I've got to hate this life. That, in other words, my ability. What does he mean? It's my ability to manage life on my own. And to realize that, you know what? I'm just not going to attain it in this, in this world. I need you, God, right? And to say, I need your spirit to come inside me. I want to bear fruit. Eternal fruit. Right? I, don't want, I want life. I don't want just to have my own agenda and manage my own life. And then one day when it's all said and done, I'm retired and i got some things in the bank and I've had a good life. And then what? Then what? Is that all you want? And this is what Jesus, he didn't mess around. He says, do you want life? Anybody thirsty here? You need to respond to the word. He knows exactly what's going. It doesn't matter. No excuses. Doesn't matter how bad life's been. No matter what trauma, darkness, whatever. He's paid the price for you to be free. To take care of all that. If you let those things right, be a barrier to you, then what you're doing is holding on to your life. You're holding on to your soul, your feelings, right? your hurt, your pain. Rather than what? You've got to let it die. You've got to lay it at the cross. You've got to let Jesus do his work. And man, that's when the Spirit of God rushes in. Man, it brings life. And then you, it, it becomes personal. You know him as your Lord, your Savior. And the king of the universe. The one who loves your soul. The one who actually breathed your soul in the beginning of Genesis into place. You weren't some poof. What a, what a lie to our children that there's some accident. A primordial soup. that, And we have more trust in that science unproven than we do trusting the heart. No one in all history of the world believes that crap. No one. Not a child, no one else. Is there something greater? Right? We all inside us, we know I was created for more. We know we desire love and affection. We desire to live. We desire life. And I'll share it tomorrow, but even with, you know, Maiden and I had a chance just a few weeks back with Marion, and, and, and we're like, Marion, what can we pray for you for? She says, pray that God would take me home. Let's do it. Take her home, Lord. She wants life. And knows this is not it. Live faithfully. And then I've got eternity. And this is what Jesus. And here's the, where did that idea come from? If we're just a figment of magic. Where did the idea of eternity even come from? Right? It's because it said eternity is set in your heart. Your soul. And God wants to bring that right alive. The other one is just self-confidence, right? And, and Jesus says, right, well, how much do we hear this language? I just want to throw up. I mean... Come on, self-help. Really, people, there's something. The God who, who defeated death, who breathed all this glory into place, is offering you life. But you're going to settle for, for just self-confidence, self-help? You can do it? Man, there's something better. A lot, lot better, right? And uh, he's come, and, and what is, this is tough words. You've got to hate your life. You've got to hate your own confidence. You've got you to realize this. i got nothing, God. I'm poor in spirit. At my soul level, at the core of my being, I need you, God, to bring life. Because I can't figure it out. My emotions, my, my intellect, and my will, making decisions, trying to manage life. Man, why would you want to manage your own life? Why would you want to bear the burden of the emotional trauma 
Right? When a God is here who will give you the fruit of the Spirit if you ask for Him to come in and bring His life. That's the gospel, folks. And the last one here, he says this, verse 26, if anyone serves Him, he must follow me. Who are you following? And this is self-righteousness. And this is what I was stuck in and still, it, it, you know, it, we all have a little Pharisee in us, right? And, um, you know, today, this is the idea that, wow, if I keep that self-life, that lonely life, I'm left with trying to determine what's right and wrong. Are we confused today as a culture? Right and wrong, where did it go? Is it just morally? In other words, you ask people the technical language is, oh yeah, morals are, are uh, it's just whatever society said. They're morally constructed. And again, is anybody thinking in the past history, how has that worked? How did that work in Germany? How, how, when we let society determine what's right and wrong, how has that gone in the history of the world? Has it ever gone well? If you send your kids to public higher education, they're getting hammered with deconstruction, critical theory, go down the list of things that basically says, let's just tear everything down and that you know what? Something glorious is going to rise up. Show me where. Show me any society, anywhere in history where that has ever happened, ever. We're on a fast pace of deconstruction. There's only one thing. Just says, follow me. I'll give you life. I'll give you life, and you know what? That life and for the churches be the city on the hill, this glorious thing, not judging, not hammering, not, but, but just saying there's something better, folks. Gloriously better. Come to Him. Let Him make it personal in your life. It's not religion. It's not going through the rituals. Man, it's embracing the one who loves your soul and answers every big issue in life. Folks, we all, we hear it today, social justice and everything and all about the importance of, of all people's moral dignity. And I, I, here's the question you'd ask everybody is, why? Why do you believe that? What's the source? Why do you think moral dignity, that everybody should have dignity? Why do you believe that? Because again, if you study history, guess what? Most people don't really believe that. They don't act that way. So why do you believe that? And again, folks, here's the gospel. There's only one thing in all philosophy, theology, you name it. There's only one thing that actually consistently has said and makes a way, right, for moral dignity of every person, no matter where they're from, no matter what color they are, no matter where they've been, and that's the gospel. And that's Jesus in Genesis chapter 1 that says that God created you and every single person that's ever been born in His image, valued, loved, cared for, with a glorious future awaiting if we will just come and lay self down. Lord, make it personal. I'm ready for you to make it personal, right? And uh, how about this? He's in the crowd. I just love this. And uh, Jesus is having fellowship with the Father. He's headed to the hardest thing possibly conceived of to bear the full weight of all the iniquity of and sins of all of ours to bring justice so that we don't have to stand in the courtroom of God so the grace of God can cover us if we just receive it by faith it's a free gift phenomenal and it thunders thunders and some there had made it personal and when it's personal you hear the voice of God when it's not personal, you just hear thunder. 
And folks, I hear it all the time, right? We live in an amazing place. Here's the difference. You can walk out here, you can enjoy the powder day, the skin, the glory of the creation, and uh, you can just talk about Mother Earth, or you can just talk about, ah, it's just so great to be here, or you can make it personal. And while you're enjoying this, you know the one who created it. It's night and day, folks. One who goes out there to just enjoy it, to move to Aspen, enjoy all that Aspen has to offer, right, is living as a lonely soul doing whatever their makeup can to conceive of the beauty and to take it in and and try to muster up a little happiness. But joy is not possible unless they know God who brings the fruit of joy right into their life. Right? Man, there's something better, folks. He wants us to make it personal. And um, the final thing here, this is so beautiful, right? When I'm lifted up from the earth... I'll draw all, don't miss it, all people to myself. There's the answer to the Greeks. There's the answer to the Greeks. Hey, we haven't been able to get into the temple. Hey, we haven't even been able to get close to Jesus. We haven't even been able to come listen to Torah. We haven't been able to touch him. We haven't been able to get close to him. Can we please see him? You're about to. Jesus went to the cross, folks. His glorious work, his purpose was so that each person who's ever been born, it can be personal. He's not just walking in a Jewish context where only a few people can make it personal. He went to die, and when he died, you know the story, is that the earth quaked, the veil in the temple to the Holy of Holies was ripped, top to bottom, Man, he made a way for each of you, no matter where you're at, to access the presence of God and make it personal. Wow. Wow. Have you? Derek, y'all come on up. I want to just end with this verse and with a challenge to all of our hearts this morning. This is John. Go back one chapter. He says this, right, to Mary and Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe it? Now this can be a little confusing. What does he mean? How do you die and then never die? How do you die and then never die? It's what Jesus did. And if you know him personally, it's going to be your experience. You're going to die in this body like we celebrate Marian Monday with the incredible confidence, "Ah, I'll never die. Because God is going to do to my body what he did to Jesus. He's going to raise me to live forever. He is risen. risen Indeed. Indeed. So Father, thank you for this morning and uh, your word, Lord. Father, forgive us. Lord, we get so distracted with so many things, Lord, that are less glorious. Cheap substitutes. Lies. Holy Spirit, come. Make it personal.
Every one of us this morning, before we come and celebrate at the table, Lord, let us get very intimate and personal with this statement and this question of Jesus to us. Do we believe this? Father, I just pray for every soul in here, Lord. Lord, like you came down and sovereignly, Lord, I had nothing to offer. You redeemed, you made it personal with our family, saved us out of a religious ritual. You made it personal. And then, Lord, after that, you reached down and you made your house personal to me. And Father, I pray that. Pray that this morning, Lord. Holy Spirit, move. Lord, you know where our hearts are at this morning. You know, where, you know the very thoughts and intentions of our heart, Lord. Father, you know who needs to just be wrapped up in your love this morning. Lord, you know who needs to be radically forgiven this morning, cleansed by you. Lord, you know who needs hope. Lord, you know the lonely here. Would you come and make it personal? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.